0: If you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to go to the Gospel of John, John 17. We're going to get there uh, in just a moment. As Jeff said at the top of the service, today we're beginning a new series called The Politics of Jesus. And I figured beyond COVID, what everybody is really talking about in our nation and frankly around the world is the political uh, pressure cooker that's going on in our nation, And uh, my concern is that if we don't talk about it as a church community, uh, the pressure cooker can seep right into the church. And so I thought we would just uh, uh, hit this issue head on, face on, talking about the politics of Jesus. You know, I would imagine some of you, when you heard that we were going to talk about the politics of Jesus today, you were wondering, so what is the, 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 the policy, the leaning, the political bend of faith Lutheran church? You might be wondering that. In fact, some of you, when you came in this morning, you saw the red and thought to yourself, I knew this was a Republican church, right? No, it's Reformation Sunday, we are a liturgical church. We do this. We join thousands of churches all over the world putting up red on this Sunday. If you come back in Advent in a few weeks, we're going to have blue pyramids up here. But this is what politics does, right? Is it makes We see something, and it makes us jump to conclusions. We make assumptions based on these little tiny things. We're like, I knew it. I knew it, right? And then we all of a sudden stereotype uh, other people, and, and we just kind of go on and on and on, and we, our heads can go to a really bad place. And so, today, um, rather than uh, just letting you all wonder or assume about uh, Faith Lutheran Church and maybe the politics of Jesus, we're going to hit it straight on. So, let's pray. God, we thank you uh, for this gathering of your saints. Lord, we thank you for an opportunity to to be your children, to listen to your word, to sing hymns of praise to you, and to receive your grace and love through the sacrament of Holy Communion this morning. God, we pray that as we uncover and unpack this story uh, from uh, the life of your son, Jesus Christ, that you would illuminate us, encourage us, challenge us, and send us, Lord, out into the world, um, so that others may know of your saving grace for all of humanity. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Well, many years ago, uh, Teddy Roosevelt, the 26th president of the United States, um, he loved to go on these hikes. He called he called them point to point. Point-to-point. See, for Teddy Roosevelt, he didn't like to just go on these, you know, like the Constitution Trail or these blaze trails. Teddy Roosevelt loved to go off-road and off the grid, and if he saw a trail, uh, he avoided it because he wanted to to blaze new trails. And one of the things he liked to do, one of his favorite things, uh, hikes that he liked to go on, it was called a point-to-point And the rules were really quite simple. You started at one place, and you ended at another place. And along the journey, if you came upon a wall or an obstacle, you needed to climb over it. You were not allowed to go around it. Or if you came upon a creek, you were not allowed to circumvent it. You had to go through it. And this is just what Teddy Roosevelt loved to do. Well, one day... uh, Teddy Roosevelt had a, an audience with the French ambassador to the United States. And he thought, well, this might be kind of fun to take the French ambassador on a point-to-point hike. And so that's what they did. Uh, later, the French ambassador said, you know, it really was less of a hike and more than more like a run. If you know if you've ever read anything about Teddy Roosevelt, he was just a little bit intense. And that's what he did, is uh, he just went on these hikes. And so they're out on this hike, and uh, as they're out hiking, all of a sudden they came upon Rock Creek. And if you've ever seen Rock Creek in Washington, D.C., it's, it's more like a river. And so they came upon this uh, creek, uh, Rock Creek, and Teddy Roosevelt knew that he couldn't go around it, so he just started undressing all the way down to his skivvies. And there's Teddy Roosevelt standing there in front of Rock Creek. And the ambassador wasn't really sure what to do, so he just started taking off his, all of his clothes as well. He would later tell uh, the, the people of France that he did this for the honor of France. He stripped down to his skivvies as well, too. He said, I stripped down, t- took off all my garments except for my leather gloves. To which you might ask, why did he leave his leather gloves on? And he said, Should we meet ladies? <laughs> it was a different time, I guess. Yeah, I guess you kept on, you took everything off, but you left your leather gloves on. Should you meet ladies? And, and you know, the, the interesting thing about this story is so they crossed through Rock Creek and they continued on their point to point hike. And I really share this story with you about one of our um, beloved presidents uh, because I think discipleship, spiritual growth, is much like a point-to-point hike. Oftentimes, as we go through life and we face challenges, we face obstacles, we face things that are uncomfortable and difficult, we'd rather skirt around them, we'd rather just avoid them altogether. But I think as true spiritual growth happens when we walk with Jesus, we just kind of go into the difficult places. We step into what's uncomfortable, we step into uh, the challenges, the hardships of life. And I think that's where we really, truly grow as followers of Jesus. Christ. And so this morning, we're going to look at how Jesus walked through uh, the, the difficult points, point to point in, in his own life. And I'm just going to, here's, here's kind of your uh, warning on the front end. You might leave this morning a little bit offended. And if you're not offended when you leave this morning, when you come back next week, you might leave next week offended because that's, that's what politics does, right? Politics divides us. And we live in a pressure cooker of a nation where the, where the politics of the day is dividing us. And so there's your warning on the front end. If you leave here this morning just going, oh, can't believe he said that. I'm so offended. But I also want to remind you that Jesus never had any problem offending anyone. Jesus was a master offender. And if you think the politics of today are a pressure cooker, the politics of Jesus' day were so much worse. They had several powers going on that were just made things really tense and really difficult. The first power, of course, was Rome. And they were the political power of the day. They had armies and chariots and weapons and money, and they had all sorts of things. And they controlled things, and they controlled things by fear and by force. The second power of the day was the temple, the religious leaders of the day. And they didn't have all the money. They didn't have all the power. But what they had, the religious leaders, is they had something maybe even more powerful. They had guilt and shame. And the religious leaders of the day were really good at guilting people and shaming people to do what the religious leaders wanted them to do. Those were the two major powers of the day. And so Jesus steps onto the scene. And for three years, he's going toe to toe with the political powers and the religious powers of the day. Jesus did not shy away from some good offending other people. It did not bother him. And so we have to remember that as we think about who Jesus was and the ways in which he came into this world and engaged the world. And so to this morning, like I say, you might feel a little bit offended. And the particular passage I chose for us to look at this morning comes from John 17, as I mentioned at the beginning. And John 17, just to kind of tee this up for you, it's it's called sometimes called the high priestly prayer. This is the prayer that Jesus prayed just out, Hours before he was arrested, and tried, uh, tortured, and executed to hang on a cross. This is the prayer that Jesus is praying just before he leaves this world. And so he goes before God and he says, God, I want to pray for me. I want to pray for my disciples. And I want to pray for the church. I want to pray for future generations. And so hear these words this morning of Jesus in his prayer from John 17, beginning with verse 1. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life that they know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Jesus says, "I've, I've brought you glory. I've brought you honor. I've worshiped you. I've served you, God, by the work that I've done on this earth. And what is the work that Jesus did as he walked on this earth? He served people, right? And this is some of the great mystery of who God is, is that God did not come to live in a palace. God did not come into into the world uh, to have other people serve him. But God came into the world in the person of Jesus. And he said, you know what? I have not come to be served, but I have come to serve other people. And for 3 years this is what Jesus did is he served other people, he cared for people, he loved people, he had a servant heart over and over and over. And then after 3 years of serving other people, Jesus died a servant's death. He took on our sin so that we can experience life eternal. He didn't have to do that. He was God. He said, I'm taking on the sin of the world as a servant, and I'm taking the sins so that all of humanity can experience love and freedom and this good news, this rescue that I've offered to all of humanity. Jesus was a servant, and he came into the world with this extraordinary humility when he could have come into the world and said, I'm in charge, everybody listen to me now. And then as he's leaving this world, he looks at his disciples and said, now I want you to be humble servants as well. This is how you are to live your lives as Christ followers, as humble servants. You know, I think as we think about the politics of Jesus and the politics that's going on in the world today, I think one of the things that would really serve us well is to have a posture of humility like Jesus did. A posture that I don't know everything, that we don't know everything. There are many things that we don't know. In fact, when Jesus would go toe-to-toe with the politicians of the day or the religious leaders of the day, he wasn't terribly concerned about all their rules. Most of the time, Jesus was concerned with what he called the kingdom of God. He would say, my kingdom is not of this world. I'm not terribly concerned about all that's going on. And make no mistake about it, Jesus engaged the world for sure. But he also said, there's something more important. My father's kingdom. And so as we think about humility and how we serve others, I think it's a good place to start for all of us. The politics of Jesus begin as a humble servant. A couple months ago, uh, I read a book uh, called Talking to Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell. If you've read any of Malcolm Gladwell's stuff, he's always got some interesting stuff to say. And, And the subtitle is, What We Should Know About the People We Don't Know. And over and over throughout the book, he gave story after story after story about what it means to talk to strangers, people we don't know. And what he draws conclusion after conclusion after conclusion is what we do as human beings is that we look at other people and we assume we know more about them than they know about themselves. We thin-slice people. We judge a book by its cover. We look at people and very quickly we jump to conclusions about who they are and what they believe. And he says, you know, the thing is, we as human beings are so much more complicated than that. We oftentimes get it wrong when we judge other people, when we think about other people, when we make assumptions about other people. Be careful when you meet a stranger. Because you might be wrong about who they are. We are complicated human beings. That's the way God made us, complicated. And we need to be humble as we think about all the contentious, difficult issues of the day. I think humility takes us a long, long way in this conversation. If we continue, uh, uh, as Jesus said, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Folks, we got work to do too. All of us are on this earth for a reason and for a purpose. We need to be about our work with great humility like Jesus was. Verse 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed to you those whom you gave uh, me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have studied your word. Is that what your Bible say? No. They have reflected on your word. No. They have pondered your word. They have read about your word. No, they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them, which Jesus is kind of repeating himself here, obeying God's word and accepting God's word. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I think if Jesus is first calling us uh, to an attitude of humility, he says, your compass is really the word of God. That's how the disciples would get there, is by following, by obeying God's word. You know, on October 31st, 1517, uh, a, a priest walked about a mile and a half down the road from his house to the Castle Church, Cobblestone Street in Wittenberg, Germany. He put 99 sticky notes on the door. And he said, hey, I've noticed something. The words of Scripture do not line up with the doctrines and the policies of the church. Therefore, the doctrines and the policies of the church are false teachings. And thus, of course, began the Reformation. You know, I think it's interesting that here we are, 503 years later, And a leader from uh, later, a a leader from the Catholic Church, again, made a declaration this past week about the doctrine and the teachings of the church. You may be heard about it. And I think what's really interesting, 503 years later, it's still the same issue. A politician in a political position makes a statement that is completely incongruent and not backed up by Scripture. Anybody know what the Pope said this past week and how he backed it up by Scripture with his statement of doctrine? He didn't. Because he can't. See, the problem with the Catholic Church, and I don't usually talk about the Catholic Church, and I think the church in general today, is so oftentimes the politics of the, of the day blow into the church and bump up against the church, and the, the, the politics, we're not immune from the politics of the world, of the culture. And we want to please people, and we want to make people happy, and we want to make people feel good, and we want to make people feel comfortable. But make no mistake about it. Jesus says his followers are people that follow the word, God's word. Not good intentions, not wishful thinking. Anybody uncomfortable this morning or just me? Yeah, and and those of you who worship here, I don't normally talk about the Catholic church. It's, It's not my business. I'm not, you know, I'm not Catholic. But it's Reformation Sunday. And Reformation Sunday is that one Sunday out of the year where a pastor dared to stand up in front of the powers, the political, religious powers of the day, and said, your doctrine is false because it does not align with Scripture Jesus says the word matters, and and not just reading and studying and learning and thinking about the word. He says, because your children have obeyed the word. And I think these are words for us today in Jesus' prayer for us. They have obeyed your word, and they've accepted them. It doesn't say they liked them. They accepted them and says, okay, God, we're going to do our best. Verse 9. Jesus says, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those of you who have given me, for they are yours. And all I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they're still in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. I love how Jesus prays for protection for the disciples, for his followers. But the interesting thing is, Jesus has already told his disciples, hey, guess what, guys? By following me, here's what's going to happen to you. You're going to be arrested, you're going to be flogged, you're going to be beaten, most of you are going to be arrest, uh, uh, tortured, uh, many of you are going to die for my name, you are going to suffer terrible deaths. So why in the world would Jesus pray for protection for them? I think it's because he's not talking about physical protection. Jesus cares about us, you know, um, our protection in our lives, but he says there's something so much more important than being comfortable and happy and feeling good in this world. Jesus cares about us being safe, but he says, guess what? There's something even more important than your safety and your protection and your health and your wealth and all those things. Jesus' final prayer to God is protect them so that, that's the key word here, those two key words, so that they may be one as we are one. What Jesus is even more concerned about our protection or the protection of the church is the unity in the body of Christ. That's what Jesus really cares about, is that we are caring for one another and loving one another and just agreeing to disagree on all the issues of the day. Jesus says, focus on what's truly important, and that is being unified as the body of Christ. Don't get sidetracked by all these other things going on. Don't get sidetracked by the politics of the day. Can I just remind you, politicians come and go. Political parties come and go. Political platforms come and go. Somebody's going to be elected president and senators and representatives. They're going to come and go. And their policies are going to come and go. But Jesus says the word of the Lord stands forever. No matter what all the changes that happen in the world, the politics of the day, it's all going to change. Don't get hung up on it. Certainly don't argue with one another Agree to disagree on the politics of the day, but for goodness sake, make sure you are staying united as a church. Love one another. Because that when you love one another, you then are going to become a witness to all those outside the church. See, those outside the church, if they see us squabbling with one another and angry with one another and, and fighting about the politics of the day, they're going to be like, yeah, they're just like everybody else. But if we can love one another through this political season, and I'm thinking it's going to go well into next year before we have results. Hear these words from Jesus, love one another. We've got to love and respect and care for one another in spite of one another's political differences. A couple of years ago, um Logan showed up at our house with a slack line. Anybody know what a slack line is? No. A slack line—it's—it's—it's it's, it's one of these things today that's—it looks like a tightrope. It's a little bit wider than a tightrope, and you string it between a couple trees or a couple stationary objects, and you walk across—it's uh, this slack line like this. I haven't done it because it was like way too scary, and I break things when I try things I shouldn't be doing. And so it's kind of like walking across a tightrope, balancing. And I think this is a really good image for what it means to love one another. About a year and a half ago, we had a sermon series on grace and truth. It was on John 1.17. Remember that? And grace means I love you no matter what. And truth means I'm going to be honest with you no matter what. And John 1:17 says, Jesus came in grace and truth. He walked that tightrope of how difficult it is to love one another, but also to be honest with each other. I think we gotta be honest. We, we don't sacrifice honesty for truth. We don't sacrifice truth for honesty. We need to love and care for one another. And it's hard. It's difficult. It's a balancing act to love and care for one another. But of course, this is what the church did, the early church did. And after the resurrection, the church had a common mission it was to make disciples, it was just that simple. And they had this common mantra that we're just going to love people into the kingdom. We're just going to love people into the church. That's just how we're going to do this. And the church exploded. And people just came and grew. And they sent out more and more people to become disciples. And so here we are today on this Reformation Sunday. And we continue to live in this tension of grace and truth. This tension of how do we love and care for one another, but also share with one another with great humility the truth of Scripture and how it impacts our lives and sends us into the world. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great prayer that your son Jesus prayed before coming to you. We thank you, God, that um, Jesus loves us so much that he invites us to continue to walk with great humility. We thank you, God, that you come to us and you haven't left us just wondering how we're supposed to live our lives in this sinful and dark world, but you've given us a roadmap. You've given us a compass. You've given us the truth, your word. And God, you've given us a commandment to love one another, to love those in the world, especially those people we disagree with. God, we thank you that you are so far above the politics of the day. Help us to be mindful each and every day as the election draws ever closer. Help us, Lord, to be reminded that ultimately you are on the throne. You are in control today, beyond election day, and for tens of thousands of years. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.